I want to actually start off the sermon the same way they're starting off in the preschool room uh, by playing a little Simon Says. So Simon Says, raise your right hand. Simon Says, raise your left hand. Very good. Stick out your tongue. Hey, you guys know how to play? Do you know how to play? All right, Simon Says, Simon says put, put your hands down. Put your hands down. All right, do you guys know how to play Simon Says? The show of hands, right? No, you can't do that. I didn't say Simon Says. You got, ah, you know. No, look, there's some people, look, there's some people that are like, what are you guys doing? This is terrible. You, you know how to play or whatever. Now you're the genius, right? Because you didn't move up because you weren't supposed to do anything. Okay, look. You guys all know how to play Simon Says because you've been playing it since you were a kid. I know that because we were all kids <laughs> and we had parents, right? Or a teacher and a coach. And at some point they said, you have to do this. Why? Because I said so, right? I mean, it's just like unquestioned authority. You can't, all right, it's just, and then some of you are parents, right? Or you've been in that, that authority where you actually get to be the Simon, right? I tried to look up who is Simon, right? Like, how did you get this game named after you? There's like no like king or something where it's like, Simon says, who is it? Anyway, but when you're a parent, you get to play the same game, right? Your kid comes up to you, or you, you say, all right, can, can you go clean your room, right? Can you go do something? And like, Why? And I was like, well, because I said so. Right? And there's probably a, a better reason. There's probably a reason why you're asking them to do it. And you could sit there and discuss it and take your time. Uh, but, you know, your patience is thin. You know, they're annoying. Or you've got other things on your mind. You know, you don't have time for it. So you say, yeah, just play the authority card, right? Like, well, it, I just said so, and you need to respect me. That's, that's appropriate. That should be enough, right? You don't need an explanation. Uh, I suspect that most of us have attended a church in the past, a president, where it felt like, now, they played that authority card a little too often, right? I think we all, even culturally, people outside the church know that churches will teach you right from wrong, good from evil, they'll help kids make right choices. That's why a lot of people come to church when they have kids. They're like, well, I just want my kids to know how to live. But too often, you know, when you get to a tough ethical issue or, you know, kids have a question, the church then says, well, just because God said so. So I don't know if you've ever been there, but you ask your youth group leader, well, why you know, why is it a sin to have sex before marriage, right? Now, well, because well, God says so, you know, or do I, do I really have to love my neighbor as myself? Why? You know, well, I mean, because God says so. Do I have to give money to the church? Why, why do I have to? Well, because God says so, you know, and on and on and on. And it feels like there's probably a whole lot more discussion around these issues that we need to have, but whether or not you know, the youth pastor didn't have time for it or, you know, you were annoying or whatever it was. They just play that authority card. Well, because well, God says so. And look, you can't, you can't question who God is. I mean, he's the highest authority. Like, why would you go against what he said? If that's all we hear, though, about why we should follow rules or follow the law, it would leave a pretty dissatisfying feeling. You know, like, okay, I guess we'll just do it because God says so. Is there a better reason? We're in week two of our uh, study all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, last week, we did the introduction. We said Deuteronomy is one speech, long speech, a farewell speech, a graduation speech, uh, where Moses is going to die, but he's sending off his people uh, well. They're about to enter into the promised land. Uh, and so right before he gives this speech and he reminds them of what the law is, we said, Last week, that his introduction told stories about who the people were and who God was, and that we could also see ourselves within that. So it's uh, the book of Deuteronomy at first on the outside seems like it's just these ancient, dusty, you know, 4,000-year-old laws to a culture that we aren't even a part of. 
but really when you look closer to it, it's actually revealing who God is. Uh, this next section of Deuteronomy, we're going to be in for about four weeks, about four weeks, and we're going to be in for four weeks. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a section that has uh, some narrative still that tells stories of the people and where they've kind of been. Uh, there are laws uh, that are now going to say, do this. This is what God expects from you. And then there's the portion that we're going to be going to today uh, where Moses shares the why for the, uh, for the law that he's about to share. So he's not, he's not playing Simon Says. He's uh, channeling his inner Simon Sinek, and starting with the why. You know what I'm saying? Come on, that was a good line. I'm just kidding. It was a corny line. It was terrible, but I had to say it because I thought of it, you know? So we're in Deuteronomy chapter four uh, to start out. And Moses, see, Moses could have played the authority card. Like they literally, so they met God at Mount Sinai where he showed up thunder, lightning, clouds, you know, like fire on the mountain. The people were scared. They're like, actually, Moses, how about you talk to God and then come back and tell us what he said, right? Like it was impressive, awe-inspiring, like unquestioned power and authority belong to God. Moses could have said like, look, this is what he wants to do. Like, what are you gonna say? Like, you have to do it. This is God. But instead, instead he doesn't. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter four. Again, this is before he said any law, before he's reminded the Israelites of any of the law that God told them. Deuteronomy four, five through eight. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are er uh, entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? What Moses is reminding the people is that the laws are not just for their benefit, not just for their wisdom, not just for their understanding, but so that the entire world might know what true wisdom and understanding is. They, they might see what does it look like for God to live with his people. There's a much bigger perspective that God has on Deuteronomy. And I, I think at some point when you read the book of Deuteronomy, there, there'll be a little question that pops up in your head if it's not already been there. And it's this, it's why, do, why does God even care? Like if I'm good. Right? Like, I don't know, maybe if you had a rebellious phase, right? Where you're like, yeah, I don't want to do anything that God says. It's like, why does God even care if I do right from wrong, good from evil? Like, plus, we now know Jesus died for everything and forgave all sins. It's like, does it really matter? Does he really care if we're good or not good? Great questions. I think worthy to be asked. I also think they're pretty easily answered if you read the Bible. Bottom line, God loves us absolutely loves us. That's, that's, that's from the entire story. If you, if you want to read the very beginning of the Bible, this is the creation story. Again, this is literally what they're talking about in preschool and elementary. It's all about creation. This is God with all the time in the world, and he can do anything. You know, you ever play like those hypothetical like icebreaker games? What would you do in the world if, you, if money wasn't an object, right? What would you do if you had all the time in the world? You know what God would do? He'd create a world, a perfect world, and put humans in it, and go live with them. There, spend time with it. That is God's ideal. Let me create humanity and just enjoy being with them. The Garden of Eden, 
You know, in Genesis chapter one and chapter two describes this, this paradise full of life and God would dwell with his people. They would tend the garden together and he would be with them as their God and they would be his people. This is the ideal. Uh, humans didn't share that same ideal, <laughs> didn't share that same vision. Instead, uh, they, they opted for a life, we opted for a life that has uh, quite a bit more freedom <laughs> for us, uh, qu- quite a lot less peace, security, quite a lot less joy, uh, and quite a lot less God, <laughs> you know, God's presence. In the, the beginning of the story of the Bible, uh, those first maybe 11 chapters in Genesis tell this kind of downward spiral of, when humanity chooses to a different vision, uh, they get a different result than what God had designed. Um, they, they don't get the peace and the safety, the, the presence of God, the joy of his creation. And then the rest of the Bible tells how God enters in back into his creation to bring it back, to, to bring back the Garden of Eden, his goal of, of living in this perfect paradise with his people as their God and with them as his people. Time and time again, it brings up this concept of covenant. You might have heard of uh, God making covenants or the covenant, Ark of the Covenant, uh, the time and time again through the Bible. A covenant is how God enters into and works with humanity to bring things back to the Garden of Eden, back to his ideal, to his vision. And so you can see covenants all throughout the Bible and, and a summary statement. So like covenants are God's plan to restore the world through relationship and participation with humanity. So, so God somehow, again, he chooses to work with the very people that said, ah, I think I'm better off away from you. He says, I want to work with you as my partner to bring everything back. You included, but everyone back to where we were. And so in, in covenants, God makes promises. He says, if we're going to work together, here's where I'm going. Here's the plan. Let me, let me spell it out for you. All right, if you're going to be my partner, here's your role within that. And together, we will restore the world back to where we are. That's what, God, that's what God's covenants are. Here's an example. A famous one is the covenant he made to a particular individual in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, or Abram is his name in Genesis 12. It says this, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is God's ultimate goal. He, so, so the context of this in Genesis chapter 12, there's this downward spiral of people wanting their own freedom and kind of experiencing their own death. And then God says, ah, I, we're gonna, I got a plan. Comes down to Abram and says, you, you'll be my partner. And here he gives his, his ultimate goal. Everyone will be blessed through you and he makes promises. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. You get more of the, the whole covenant in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, this is the one that, Maybe I could have cut a little shorter, but I really want us to hear this entire, it's just like nine verses, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Genesis, so I know you guys got worried. You're like, oh, come on. The Bible's great, guys. You should really read it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this might be the right time to plug. Hey, we've, we do have a daily reading plan through Deuteronomy where we're going through the whole book of Deuteronomy in two months, so it's real slow, and you can get a text a day. Uh, 
Oh, it's the, oh, man, I didn't have it memorized for the second time. Thank you guys in the back. That was unplanned. They are really good, very quick with it. If you text study to 1-844-673-6068, you'll be right in included in the plan. Um, there's just a brief little passage and then a question where you can reflect. But let's get back to this covenant with Abram. Uh, who becomes Abraham. Just listen to God's promise. Listen to the requirements he's asking from Abraham and listen to how this whole plan is going to unfold. 17, uh, we're gonna go uh, one through eight. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, God said to him. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Oh, it's cool, right? So he's making this covenant with humanity. Who, who's he making it with? It's with Abraham, but not just you, right? He's with, with your descendants, everyone after you. I will be your God. You will be my people. He's saying, I will dwell with you. It'll be like back in the garden where I'm with you and we're together in harmony. You guys aren't, you know, getting your own freedom and going away. We'll do this thing together. I'll make you into a nation. I will give you this particular land. And we're going to do this together. And then combined with chapter 12, all nations will then see this and they'll be blessed by it, right? Moses understands that this is what's happening. Right? Because he now is, is the leader of a people, of Abraham's descendants. This is hundreds of years ago was Abraham from Moses. And now they're not just a clan, they're, they're a nation. And, and they're right across the river, over there is the land of Canaan, that God promised to Abraham, that will be yours. He sees God had this whole thing planned out, hundreds of years. Here's the key point that we can see even with all of Deuteronomy. And that's when God makes a promise, yes, he keeps it. I know, a little you know, suspense there. But we know that whenever God makes a promise, he keeps his word. This is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. Is that God makes these promises and he keeps these promises. Sometimes it's all the way through, but he promised to Abraham that you and your descendants, you'll be a great nation, you will have this land, I will bless you, I will be your God, you will be my people. And now Moses is saying, guys, do we realize what's happening here? He says it in, in Deuteronomy 7. Moses puts things into perspective. Just in case Israel thinks, well, you know, we're, we're something. God chose us. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose us because, you know, we're good. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore 
that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful, right? If, when he makes a promise, he will keep his promise. And what Moses is reminding the people is that you are a fulfillment of that covenant he made way back to Abraham. And what did Abraham, what, what was God's requirements for Abraham? That he be faithful and blameless, right? Faithful, that he, okay, that he would say, not my plans anymore, I will just follow you wherever you go. In chapter 12, that meant leaving his family, moving across the country to a place where he had nothing, you know, no, no connections, right? Lived as a foreigner. Walk blameless. When God tells him to do something, follow it. Stay true to what he says. What's his requirements for the Israelites here in Deuteronomy? It's the law. Here's how you'll be faithful and blameless before me. We're going to continue the same promise that we had from Abraham. You're now a nation. I'm giving you this land. But we still have to complete the whole thing where all nations will be blessed, where you can be put on display for others to see. But Moses has to make sure that they know an important point that I kind of want to uh, take a little bit of time and sit on because we need to hear it as well. What, what did Israel do to catch God's attention? To, to show them that they, out of all the other nations, he could have chosen Egypt, he could have chosen Canaan, right? Why did he choose Israel, though, right? What, what, what was the, is that grit, that fight in them, right? You know, he could tell that they had, you know, they were more pure, you know, their, their religious devotion to him. No, nothing, nothing, right? I just imagine, you know how um, pastors used to do fill-in-the-blank note sheets? You know, it's like the, the Israelites deserve God's love because blank, like, just leave that one blank, you know? It's like nothing, right? And, and Moses makes this clear. It's because of God's love and his choice, not even to them, but way back to Abraham. And now he's working through it. See, they did nothing to gain their salvation. When they were enslaved in Egypt, God didn't see something in them and said, oh, you know what? You deserve to be saved. How about I'll be your God and you'll be my people? No, no, no. It was always a promise. They had done nothing to deserve it, and yet God saved them. And then when he comes to Mount Sinai, this is in Exodus, uh, just for context because it's a little confusing. Deuteronomy, I said last week, means second law. It's the repetition of the law. Moses is repeating what happened at Mount Sinai that we see in, in, uh, in Exodus and Leviticus. But what happens there at Mount Sinai is God says, okay, now that you are my people, I've stamped you. You are mine. I put my name on you. Here's how we're going to conquer the world together and bring it back to where we started, back to the Garden of Eden where you'll be my people and I'll be your God. The salvation comes first. The obedience comes second as a part of the covenant. We have to hear this. Our salvation is not dependent on our obedience because don't, don't we think the same thing? Well, if I'm good enough, then God will help me. God helps those who helps themselves, right? You know, if, if I can prove to God that I really want this, that I really am into this Christianity thing, or that I'm really devoted to him, then he'll unlock things in my life, right? Then he'll save me. Then, then I'll prove that I belong in heaven, and then I'll be there when I die. False, wrong, that's not true. That's never been true. That's not even been true in the Old Testament, right? 
Because all of Israel was already saved, was already God's people when he said, okay, therefore, I'm going to continue my covenant and it's going to be with you and here's how we're going to partner together. But you're already my people. I already saved you. I already chose you, set you apart from everyone else. And now because you have this special role to be set apart so the other nations can watch, here's how you will live. And here's how we will commune together so we can go back to the Garden of Eden. Here, let me give, a, give an example. Allegory? Analogy? I don't know. It's an illustration. I've been over to some people's houses, and when you walk into a room, usually it's just like one room, uh, there's, there's clothing out, you know? I know you're like, yeah, just tell them you're coming ahead of time, they'll clean it up, right? You know, or just like, don't go in people's bedrooms, right? No, 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 no. I mean, like, everything's put together. Most of the clothes are in the wardrobe, but some of the clothes are, are out, you know, like almost like they want it to be there, you know? It's like, ah, oh, don't touch my clothes, you know? And some particular clothes uh, are actually uh, hung up on walls as if they're decorations, you know? And they're, they're clothes that are dirty, stained, you know? Almost all of them have like a, like a mark, you know, like uh, irreversible ink scribbled, written on it, you know? And yet people put these behind glass and in frames, you know? And they, they act like it's valuable, right? Hey, come look at this. You know, it's like, that's not even in the wardrobe, right? Why are we displaying dirty clothes you'll never wear? Well, it's because the jersey was signed by John Elway right? Or Nathan McKinnon or Nikola Jokic or whatever superstar you want. You know, when we say this jersey was signed by some professional athlete, all of a sudden that clothes, clothing item, that jersey, that shirt isn't worth the same as the shirts in my wardrobe. It's special. It's worth a whole lot more. In fact, I want to put it on display. I'm going to have some rules. I'm never going to wear that shirt. I'm never going to touch that shirt. <laughs> I'm going to display that shirt in a frame and it's going to show up in the place that I want to invite people to because I want to talk about that shirt because that shirt will indicate how close I am to this professional, right? It, it'll, it will show how dedicated I am to, to this person or how, how big of a fan I am and how valuable this team is, this player is to me, right? Now, now what made that shirt valuable? Was it because... It followed all these rules, right? Was it because it was hung up in a frame, right? Is it because you, you swear never to wear that shirt again? Is it because it was a little bit stained with that ink marking? Well, yes, <laughs> right? I mean, if, it, if it's just because we're following rules, right, then is it just because we never wear that shirt, therefore it's very valuable? Of course not. I mean, all of us would have tons of valuable clothes in our closet with all the clothes we don't wear, Right? No, 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 it's not because the rules were followed that made it worth something, it's because it has someone's name on it, right? Because of the name that's on that jersey, ah, well now there's a difference in value. Now we're gonna put that one on display. Now we want people to see whose name is on that shirt. We want to tell stories because we are dedicated to that person. Same way with Israel, same way with us. It's not us following the rules and looking like we're valuable that makes us valuable. It's the fact that God's written his name on our shirt. It's that we're his. Therefore, we go on display. Therefore, we tell the story to the world of who we're connected to, who we're devoted to, who is worthwhile to us. We're like that jersey <laughs> signed up on the wall. Same with Israel, right? They didn't earn the right to be up on the wall. God just said, you're mine. All right, you're going up on the wall, <laughs> you know? And he's like, I want to show you to everyone because you now have a role to show everyone what it means to be close to me, what it looks like, because we're going back to the garden where we can have this safety, we can have this peace, we can have this joy, 
we can have this communion together. All right. So Deuteronomy is a covenant. God's people, the Israelites, entered into this agreement where God's restoring the world back. Sounds good. I mean, it's, it's important for us to know before we start reading the law. And again, we don't want to put this in front and say, well, if we can do all these things, then we'll be good. No, no, no. This was a part of God's plan to restore the world. And this was the requirements he had for them to participate. But still feels a little distant from us, right? Like, don't you wonder, like, well... Is there any covenant for me? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, obviously I'm not a part of Israel, but does, does God make any promises for me? If God always keeps his promises, you know, like, I mean, is there any that he's made for me? You know, these are all for them, you know, but what about me? Any requirements for me? And I was like, boy, I'm glad you asked, right? Like, that's literally the whole Bible, you know? Like, this covenant continues, and God's faithful and keeps adding new things. Do you remember last week, we take communion, first Sunday of the month. Remember when we took communion? We took the bread and we took the cup. Do you remember what I said before we take the cup? I say the same thing every week and it gets a little boring routine. You know what I say? Listen, I say, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Ooh, interesting choice of word there, Jesus. The new covenant in your blood. The old covenant are the ones that we're studying today. This Abrahamic covenant. There's some others if you want to really get into the details. Uh, the covenant with Israel. And then Jesus understands that somehow through his death, he is establishing a new covenant. Fascinating stuff. Who is he establishing the covenant with? What individual? What nation? was disciples. Yeah, his disciples, not an individual, not a nation. The Bible makes it clear in the New Testament that there is no ethnic or national boundaries that, that are pre-qualifications for who gets to participate in this covenant. God wants to restore the world back to himself, partnering with and in relationship with humanity, and it's open to his disciples, the people who have given their lives to follow him. What promises did Jesus make? Um, again, we could have a long discussion, but I think there's two primary promises. The first is the forgiveness of sins. So uh, one of the problems with these older covenants is that the people that God makes the covenants with are flawed. Uh, they can't hold up their end of the bargain. That becomes a massive problem uh, with the covenant in Deuteronomy. Israel just quite can't cut it. Uh, they're not perfect enough. They need forgiveness. Jesus says, if you take the new covenant, you will have forgiveness of sins. You yourself, where you will be made pure, you will be able to now fulfill your part of the covenant, but also you'll be able to experience the Garden of Eden. You'll be, you'll be back to perfect. You'll be back to peace. You'll be back to safety, joy, and then you'll have God's presence. The second promise is that I'll be with you always. The Holy Spirit comes to his disciples, to his participants in this new covenant. Jesus promises forgiveness of sins and his eternal presence through the Holy Spirit. What does he require from us? Faithfulness. Follow him. Be a disciple. Choose to set down everything that we have and just follow him. Right? It's the same thing that he required of Abraham. Just be faithful and just be blameless. The things that I tell you to do, do them. Follow me. Don't, don't go your own way. Follow me and I will bring you back 
to the Garden of Eden. And you know what? That's not the end of the story because that's just individuals, right? Each individual comes and they come back to the Garden of Eden and that's, that's fine and grand. But God's got a bigger plan. He's always had a bigger plan. He wants the whole thing, the entire world to come back. And so he says, one day I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And everything, all of creation is going to be restored back to my original intent. And you'll be there and I'll be there and we'll be working together, enjoying what I have created. That's God's ultimate plan and destiny. We have the same role as Israel where we participate in this. We get to experience the closeness of God. We get to experience the forgiveness of our sins. And also we get to be put on display to show the world this is what it looks like to have a God so close to us. This is what it looks like to live with understanding and wisdom and with skill for how God designed the world to be. Look and see, isn't this good? Isn't this what you want? Isn't this better than your choice of going your own way, your own freedom and own death that you're experiencing? That's our call. That's how we're supposed to participate in the new covenant. It's the same story that we see in Deuteronomy, just expanded to the whole world. So as we study Deuteronomy, be seeing, understanding what God's covenant is. See his love for his people and his love for us. Understand that God is inviting us to participate in his grand scheme to make all things new. And he's just asking us to be faithful. So let all the questions about, well, how do we apply this? Be questions where we say, but God, what are you asking for from me? What do you have for me? How am I supposed to walk faithfully and blameless to you? And if we get this right, if we do this well, we're helping God move the entire creation back to the Garden of Eden, or we could say, if we want to do the last few chapters of Revelation, forward to the new heaven and the new earth. We're just getting back to where we're living in paradise and perfection next to a God who loves us, all in spite of what we do. Let's do that together. Here, let's pray. Dear Lord, the story that you have weaved through the Bible is amazing. It's incredible. Um, in parts, it doesn't make sense. We recognize that, man, we don't, we don't deserve it. Uh, we've done nothing, Lord, to earn your salvation, and yet you love us, and you choose us, and you want to work with us. Uh, may we be faithful to you, God. May we respond. May we choose to follow you. May we listen to your voice. We thank you so much for your love demonstrated on the cross, dying for us, forgiving our sins, and also your commitment, your promise to be with us forever. Now, we thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. May you empower us to whatever the thing is that you've placed before us to accomplish the task uh, or whatever participation you have for us in restoring the whole creation. Lord, we're ready for it. We're excited for it. We're excited as a church for what you want to do with Beyond Church. I ask that you would empower us, God. Go do your thing. Let us follow you. Fill us up, God. We want to partner with you. We accept your new covenant. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right, as always, we have a little discussion time after the sermon. So turn to your neighbors uh, and talk around these little tables or uh, join somewhere else. Uh, my only uh, requirement is you have to have at least someone that you didn't come to church with a part of your discussion group. Because this is also us practicing living God's love beyond ourselves while talking, listening. Uh, it's not just sharing the right answers. It's, it's wanting to get to know other people and practicing listening uh, and helping them along in their own spiritual journey. Just three questions today. 
the first is what reasons do people give for why you should live morally, both uh, perhaps Christian reasons or church reasons or non-church reasons. Uh, number two, uh, do you think God's covenants were fair for those not chosen? So God chose particular people in history. He chose Israel, not Canaan. He chose Abraham, not Lot. Uh, you know, Jacob and not Esau. Uh, how do you feel about that? Is that right for God to do? Uh, would you have done it differently? I mean, I guess you can't say no, but you're allowed to explore these things. These are okay questions to explore. Uh, and then last, what promises has God kept for you? Share a testimony. Share a story where you feel like God has kept his promise to you to encourage someone else. Let's take about five minutes, then I'll come back up, and then I'll dismiss you guys.